There's late word from Mexico tonight that searchers have found what appears to be plane wreckage near where an American-registered corporate jet went missing this morning with Latin music superstar Jenny Rivera on board. Tonight, from here in her native Southern California to across Latin America, fans and colleagues of the three-time Grammy nominee are expressing shock and grief over the fate of Rivera and the six other people who were on board the jet. There were no reported signs of survivors at the apparent crash site. NBC's Miguel Almaguer is outside Rivera's home in Encino, California with the latest. She was known as La Diva de la Banda, La Gran Señora, who had a voice to gather the masses and the stardom to take over the entertainment industry. Jenny Rivera was the leading lady in regional Mexican music. On December 9th of 2012, Dolores Janay, Jenny Rivera, shocked millions when she tragically died in a plane crash over Nuevo León, Mexico. The business jet carrying seven people on board took a nosedive minutes after taking off from Monterrey, Mexico, just hours after performing her sold-out and final concert in Monterrey. There were no survivors, and Jenny was only 42. On today's episode, we will be discussing about Jenny's earlier life, her career, and her stardom. The Paranormal Association there's been many conspiracy theories and allegations that have surrounded Jenny Rivera's death, and others who believe that foul play has been involved. There's been claims and stories from the townspeople of Nuevo León who believe that the voice that they hear singing in the mountains is that of Jenny Rivera's near her crash site. To this very day, Jenny Rivera is still a tough act to follow. So let's sit down, pour yourself a shot of tequila, as we talk about the life and afterlife of La Gran Señora, Jenny Rivera. Hey guys, welcome to Holly Weird Paranormal 2021 Skype edition. We did it. We survived another year in this pandemic. (laughs) Allegedly. Oh yeah. Um, It's kind of weird because I was listening to one of our older episodes and I realized, oh, this was the first one that we did in 2020 when we got back from our last break last year and we were sitting in my kitchen and now it's 2021 and we're sitting on Skype going through this pandemic it's just so crazy because i started getting like obviously like you know how your memories will pop up from like a year ago and like it's like i don't even recognize that person like the things (laughs) that i was doing yeah it's just it's so bizarre like i know we've talked about it before but like i literally went to disney the week before i remember everything shut down and like Mm -hmm. we were aware of covid at that point and like 
we were just like, okay, we won't, like, touch anything, and we'll just, like, wash our hands a bunch, and I had a friend that wore gloves and had, like, hand sanitizer, and, like, our little Disney guide had hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. but, like, we are so lucky that none of us got sick, like, because at that time, we didn't know that it was, like, more airborne. Right. So we just didn't know, and then the next weekend, I worked out at the gym the day that LA shut down. I was like, well, it'll be fine. Like, I'm, I'm, I'll just go to the gym. What? <laughs> Yeah. It's just so crazy to think about, like, how much changes in just a year. It does, and how fast the year went. I was discussing that with my my husband, and I was like, I can't believe it's already February. This is when I think we were close to our first shutdown, and here we are still dealing with this pandemic. And now we're going through our – we went through the third one, the third shutdown, you know? Well, and that's the thing is, like, I remember we were hearing about it at this time – but it was like, well, it's not it's not going to come here. Like, we'll make sure. Like, we were so naive. Like, well, it won't, like, it won't come to America. Like, it's it's mostly just affecting, like, mainland China. And, like, all these places are being shut down. Like, we'll be okay. And then it's like, it just started domino affecting so quickly. Yeah. Like, once we hit March, it was like, oh, no. It's like, it's global. We're going to be um, Hollywood Paranormal 2022 coming uh, live from a cave, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Well, guys, we are back from our much needed break. Yes. And I know it took longer than expected because a lot of things happen, especially within our our country and within our climate and everything. And Bryce, Bryce and I were like, we just need to take a little, a yeah. little longer <laughs> breather. Well, guys, um, we decided to open 2021 by offering you this amazing story. We're going to discuss one of the most important singers that hails from Long Beach. She is a big, big figure, especially in the Latinx community and the regional Mexican music scene. And she is known as La Gran Señora, La Diva, or La Diva de la Banda. And that is Jenny Rivera, or as I like to call her, Boss Bitch. Yeah. So... (laughs) That's her unofficial name. So for some of you guys who are just tuning in, you don't know much about her, you will. We have an hour and 15 minutes just to cover. If you want more of an in-depth story, we did cover her on our TikTok. It's like literally 100 parts because you only have one minute um, in those videos. But I really go in depth. And you can also catch up with other series that we did of other individuals such as Selena and Richie Valens. And what a lot of them have in common is not only were they such huge pivotal figures in the Latinx community, but they also had um, a lot of unusual circumstances that surrounded their death. For some of you who don't know who Jenny Rivera is, she was a Mexican-American singer who left such a mark in her community. And she was not only an amazing singer, but she was an amazing mother, sister, wife, thrice times. Um, (laughs) Yeah. She was a humanitarian, a producer, a businesswoman with a mind for business and a voice to gather the masses. And she unfortunately left this earth in a plane crash mm. in uh, December of 2012 in Nuevo Leon, Mexico. So we've been wanting to cover her story for a while on our podcast. Um, just know that you know her story is a very inspirational story. It's very tough to listen to at times. Yeah. It's very complex. But it has a lot of resilience and grit to it. And we just, you know, wanted to share her story with all of our mm-hmm. listeners because it's just such an amazing tale. 
Uh, just to preface, we have a couple of sources for our episode. Our research comes from her book, Unbreakable by Jenny Rivera, the BBC.com, LATimes.com, Rolling Stone, and Billboard.com. So we'll be touching on her early life, her adult life, her, her celebrity life, and then, of course, her untimely death in 2012, and the conspiracy theory. So there's many conspiracy theories about Jenny Rivera being alive. Girl. It's... Why are it's, we, we are so obsessed with that. Like, I don't know. idea. It's... When, when you're on the app TikTok and you uh. comment on some of those videos that I've done, it's unbelievable. But I understand where people come from. Like, they cannot process grief. And yeah. this is how they band-aid it, you know? Yeah. They really believe that Jenny Rivera somehow survived this crash or faked her death. And we'll go as to why that is eventually. So in order to begin, guys, we need to go all the way back. And we're going to go all the way back to the 60s. We start with her parents, Don Pedro Rivera and Rosa Rivera. They both immigrated to the States in the 60s. And at the time, they both had children, um, two to be exact, Gus and Pedro. First, it was Don Pedro who migrated first. He goes to Fresno where he becomes a fruit picker, earns enough money to bring Rosa and the kids to the States. And right when Rosa gets to the States to join Don Pedro, they get busy. They get really busy. Yeah. <laughs> they don't waste time. So Rosa becomes pregnant with Jenny. And we learned that ever since Jenny was in her mother's womb, she was a fighter. And this is why, because Rosa wasn't planning on having another child because they were barely making ends meet. And um, they couldn't afford another mouth to feed, so she tried different remedies from um, requested by different friends to terminate the pregnancy, and none worked. So Jenny was like, I am going to come out of your hole, mom. Like, whether you yeah. like it or not, it's <laughs> going to happen. So in July 2nd of 1969, Dolores Janay Rivera is born in UCLA Hospital, and she is the first Rivera to be born on American soil. Now, for some of you who are confused, well, she goes by the name Jenny. Well, she never liked going by the name Dolores because she hated it. According to some sources, the reason why she hated her first name is because it sounded like it, it comes from pain. Like Dolor, it, it means pain. Right. And Jenny led a very painful life in her earlier years up until her death. She always referred to herself by her middle name, Janae. Um, Janae and her family, they end up moving to the west side of Long Beach, which is a very rough part of town. Yes. Their family ends up growing. Um, so now Rosa and Don Pedro has four boys, Pedro, Gas, Lupio, and Juan, and two girls, Rosie and Janae. So just a brief um, tidbit about uh, Janae's or Jenny's earlier life. She is a very precocious but respectful child you know she helps her mom around the house she's a straight a student she's a bookworm she does very well in school she loves baseball and she is one tough cookie and a testament to that is when one day she wore a dress to elementary school and this kid was going up the stairs and he's decided to cop a feel and jenny turns around and socks him in the face so here we are already learning how much jenny is a fighter at a very young yes. age. <laughs> yeah, and so Don Pedro, her father, one evening decides to sign Jenny up for a little singing competition where she decides to sing the song Besos y Copas, which is like kisses and cups. 
Jenny is all for the competition. However, right when she gets on stage, she has stage fright. She forgets the, the words, the lyrics to the song, and she runs off. That is the worst. Feeling. I know. Poor like, Jenny. <laughs> when you go up on the line, they, you are never more in the moment than you are in that moment. Literally nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. She's like, dear God, please let something come out of my mouth. Please let some like force of nature wreak havoc on this place because I'm not ready to I see. hope the floor opens up and just it eats me. I know. It's like, There's whoa. like a tsunami or wave coming through. Like, oh, great. That's my exit. Bye. And when you're in the audience, literally, I'm just like sending all my psychic energy to them. Like if you know someone's going up on stage, you're just like, take all my talent, take all my energy. Like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Well, unfortunately for her, she didn't have that, which... You know, at first I wasn't she... in the audience. That's why <laughs> we just needed Bryce Mitchell Williams to be in the audience just, just to look Jenny Rivera in the eye and say, "You've got his little girl. psychic energies." Exactly. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you know, she doesn't do well. She runs off the stage and promises her father that she'll never t- like touch her mic again. But that oh. will all soon very much shame. As we get more up to date with her life, she's in junior high. She goes to Stevens Junior High School. She then, at that time, meets the man that will forever change her life. And send her in a whirlwind of mess. And that is Jose Trinidad Marin, who's also named Trino. So Janae meets Trino at the age of 13, except that Trino is 19. You know, no red flags. No red flags at all. Trino is a little smart. He eventually starts hanging out with Jenny's or Janae's brothers uh, because he comes from a family of a lot of girls. So I could see why he wants to go hang out with them. They become friends. He goes to you know, the Rivera's house all the time to play and then also hang out with Jenny. So they're secretly together. He finally asks Don Pedro's uh, permission to properly date Jenny. Don Pedro cautiously allows it, but I'm like, why? (laughs) This man is way older than your daughter. Why? So Jenny and Trino go steady, and Jenny then enters high school at the age of 15. She goes to Polytechnic, uh, Polytech High School. And this is the high school where Snoop Dogg and Cameron Diaz attended. So and they're randomly disconnected people from Long Beach. Like, what? I know. Well, Snoop Dogg definitely hails from the LBC. And um, I just didn't know that Cameron Diaz was another one, too. Right. So there she excels in her classes. She's an honor roll student. She's a straight A student. She plays the clarinet in the high school band. And then she becomes a teenage mom. So Trino knocks her up. The news truly devastates Jenny's mother. Her mom tells her and Trino, you should not be in the house when I have to tell your father this. Mm. You have to leave because he's not going to take it well. So Jenny ends up leaving the house. She moves in with Trino and his family in Wilmington. And there she endures the worst years of her life. Trino's family is not great to her. They call her La Gringa because she is bilingual. She speaks fluent English and Spanish. She's not traditional, like a traditional Mexican girl. She is not good enough for their son. Mm. Uh, So Jenny and Trino begin to fight and they fight a lot. The fights become very physical. Trino becomes very abusive. At one point, he really believes that the child Jenny is carrying is not his. So one day, Jenny decides to stand up for herself. She tells Trino, look, I'm having this child. This is your child. And I'm going to continue to finish my high school. So she goes to attend Reed's Continuation School in 1985, and then she finally gives birth to her first child, Janae Marine Rivera, and she nicknames her Chickies. Aww. 
She eventually works um, and goes to school part-time. She works at a video store. One day at the store, Jenny receives flowers, which she doesn't know who it's from. Trina finds out and pretty much beats her one night. Jenny, the next day, goes to work. But before she goes to work, she goes to a drugstore. She buys over-the-counter drugs. And um, she checks in at work. She overdoses in the work bathroom. And fortunately, her coworkers arrived in time to find her on the floor to call the ambulance and take her to the hospital immediately. At the hospital, she has a reunion with her family. She, you know, this is kind of like the first sign of her brushing with death. You know, she survives. She agrees, you know, with her family and the doctors that she needs to admit herself to the Los Amigos Rehabilitation Center in Downey. And um, there she gains her strength. She finishes her school. She realizes that, you know, she suffers a lot from depression. But, you know, many people believe that she was probably suffering from postpartum after, you know, giving birth to her first child. So in 1986, she finishes her high school. She's valedictorian. She's given eight different college scholarships. She breaks up with Trino. This is the one out of many times she breaks up with him and she goes to Disneyland out of all places to celebrate. Yep. In 87, she attends Long Beach City College. She ends up back with Trino again. Trino continues to beat her. So she leaves Trino to move in with her family. She gets a job at Warehouse Music and at the flea markets to sell CDs to compensate and, you know, save up more money. Then one night, Trino meets her at work at Warehouse Music, asks her to go into his car to talk. And that's where he kind of takes advantage of her. He has sex with her. And a month later, she gets pregnant again. Mm. You know, in her book, she, she, you know, people were always asking, why did you go back? She, this was her first love. This is the first love of her life. Right. And she was very young. And even in her book, she's like, love makes you do a lot of stupid things and a lot of yeah. crazy things. Mm-hmm. She um, runs away again. Trino beats on her again. Ugh. She is contemplating abortion with her mother. Um, her mother tells her, no, you need to keep the child. So she is now renting a garage out of Gus's house, her big brother. But she wants to, you know, continue with her schooling. So she transfers from Long Beach City College to Cal State, where she pursues her bachelor's in business. She then ends up getting a job at Bank of America while helping her father manage his new label, Cintas Aquario. Mm -hmm. And to this very day is a very successful label. It's a label that represents a lot of Mexican regional singers. And he ends up representing, you know, his sons who become singers and, of course, Jenny Rivera. But the one big singer that he represents is Chalino Sanchez. And if you don't know who Chalino Sanchez is, he mm. was pretty much the pioneer of Narco Corridos. And if you don't know what Narco Corridos are, they are songs that talk about the cartel, narcos, drugs, having big fancy trucks, mm. guns, and more drugs. So definitely something you do not fan- like jazzercise to. Uh, <laughs> and- <laughs> I mean, depending... Depending, but Chalino Sanchez is big. He was the voice of this people of a working class in Mexico. And he, you know, was very famous. Like he was the Tupac of Mexico and he made having a gun and wearing a cowboy hat a thing. So he was really big. And him and Jenny were very close friends. Even his wife was really good friends with Jenny. So in 1989, Jenny and Trino welcomed second child Jacqueline Marine Rivera. They nicknamed her Jackie. Jenny wants to 
you know, earn more money. She needs to make more money because now she's having more kids. So she ends up going to Anthony's real estate school where she receives her real estate license. And then she leaves B of A. She goes to sell houses for Century 21. Mm. Get this. In her first four months of re- as a real estate agent, she sells six houses and buys her first home at the age of 20. I couldn't even okay. sell three pairs of jeans at the Gap when I was working there in high school. Oh, one I'm week. a terrible salesperson. I know. I was like, I don't know. Do you want it or not? Like, well, I know. I'm not even bother asking you about applying for a credit card. So here yeah. we are. Oh, God. I used to hate that at the Gap. I, I know. Tammy, how Make many sure credit cards? Every you? customer. No. So she then goes back to Trino again, but under her own terms. So she tells him, like, if you're going to live under this roof, you're going to get a job. So he um, ends up working with her in her career, and Jenny helps him um, become a loan officer. And this weird thing happens. They actually have stability. They don't fight. They're not having these violent outbursts with one another. They are actually, you know, in a very stable situation. Like, they're working. They're making money. They have a family. They have a house. They have another child in 1991, and it is baby number three for them, and they name him Trinidad Angelo Marin. Uh-huh. He ends up changing his name. As the child grows older, he ends up changing his name to Mikey, and we'll, we'll talk about why that is later. Mm-hmm. In 1992, Trino and Jenny have one hell of a savage fight, which resulted in Jenny having Trino thrown in jail. Then Jenny gets news that her friend and music artist of her father's Chalino Sanchez has passed away. Mm. So one night, Jenny ends up going to a club with her friends and Carson, and they kind of push her to do karaoke. So she decides to sing the song Nieves de Enero, which is one of Chalino's songs. And she just knocks it out of the park. Mm. So the shy little girl that she used to be that would run off the stage is no longer shy. She Mm. really has vocals. And what's really What's really amazing is that she's not classically trained, you know? So her first album actually was a gift to her father, and she names it Jenny La Guerra Rivera. So now she's calling herself Jenny with an I. Mm. Um, This is just a personal album that she makes for her father. And the father's like, you can sing. I'm going to market this album. So her first album then comes out, which is called Chacalosa, which is slang for party girl. And it's released in 95. And on the onset of her musical career, she was told by many, many, many people, mainly men, that she would never make it. Girl. Um, And this is at a time and still today that the genre known as regional Mexican music was and is still dominated by men. And in 2012, um, with an interview with Billboard magazine, Jenny even explains it. Even in her book, she's like, I did not fit the typical mold of a, of a female in this industry. Mm-hmm. I'm not five foot nine. I'm not skinny. I don't have, you know, this glamazon look, but mm-hmm. I can sing. She had a lot of people slam doors in her face, too. So this was, these were a lot of issues that Rivera had to face as a female trying to crack into the regional musical or the regional Mexican genre. Yeah. So she eventually proves a lot of people wrong. She signs on to Sony Music in the late 90s and then Fonavisa Records in 99. Jenny then releases her first commercial album with Fonavisa called Que Me Entierren Con La Banda, May They Bury Me With The Band. Mm. And it had a big local hit. It's called Las Malendrinas. 
And Jenny stated in an interview that she said that Las Malandrinas pays homage to her female fans. She also said that the song blew up and people became interested. And that's when Jenny Rivera, the artist, was actually born with, with that song. Damn. So in 1995, she meets and marries her second husband, Juan Lopez. And he's way better than Trina to a certain extent. There's still a couple of red flags. For example, he has three different children from three different women. Um, he kind of moves in with Jenny, like doesn't ask her. He just moves into this house that she buys in Corona. Girl. Her second house at that. They are actually pretty good together. He really believes in Jenny and, and her musical career. And he really takes care of her children, mm. the ones from Trino. And then they have their own children, Jenica and Johnny. So now... Jenny, at this time, has one, two, three, four, five children at this point. And the best things about these pregnancies was that it actually helped her career. She was worried that it was going to plummet her career because it proved to her female fans that you can be a mother, a wife, and still pursue your own dreams. Yeah. And soon Juan is sent to jail for immigrant smuggling. Jenny goes back and forth to visit Juan in prison and then faces another horrible episode. One night in 1997, Jenny describes in her book, she is followed and raped in front of her house after shooting the music video for La Chacalosa, Ugh. which was um, at a nightclub. And in her book, Unbreakable, Jenny describes how she encountered a man with green eyes asking if she was El Cinco's lady. And this was the same man that raped her. El Cinco, I believe, was Juan. And Juan dealt with a lot of, you know, mm -hmm interesting people let's just put it that way so jenny carries this burden with her and she doesn't open up to anyone about it until she writes about it in her book but she eventually opens up to juan after he is released from prison soon after he's released this the marriage then declines he's having infidelities and affairs with other women and then he's later arrested on, again on charges of dealing drugs he, um, yeah, he later dies in prison in 2009 due to complications of pneumonia. Ugh. 97 is still not the best year for Jenny. In her career, yes, but in her personal life, no. She hits right. a major, major burden. In 1997, her younger sister Rosie confesses that Jenny's ex-husband Trino used to sexually molest her and was doing the same thing to Chickies and um, her youngest daughter Jackie. No. So Trina was sexually molesting her little girls and her little sister as young as seven, and it stopped when they were 14. And proof of this came out with a physical examination that Jenny had conducted after Rosie had shared this news with her. Um, the molestation case was opened in 97, and Trino, when he found out that Rosie had told the family this, he runs away. He disappears for nine years. He's a fugitive before he was apprehended in actually April of 2006 after Jenny and her daughters go on a radio show to, to recall their experiences and leave it to the public and the community. They um, were flooded by phone calls from Trino's neighbors saying, no, he lives next door. So this, Good for them. I know. So this guy who runs away doesn't leave to go to another city. He stays around Long Beach and the idiot is going to get caught. Like he really thought like no one was going to catch him. And at that time he was already married with kids. Ugh. So fortunately an FBI agent that was listening to the radio show um, contacts Jenny. He gets all the info. 
they raid his house, they raid Trino's house, they arrest him. They actually give the handcuffs that they use to arrest Trino with to Jenny's sister, Rosie. So Trino is convicted of sexual assault and rape and sentenced to more than 31 years in prison without parole in 2007 to 2008. So the court proceedings were very, very, very arduous. It was very, very ugly. Mm. And there were times where fights would break out in the courtroom between Trino's family and the Rivera's. Jesus. So to make matters worse, Jenny and her family find out that her father, Don Pedro, had been cheating on her mother with the family's photographer, whom now was carrying his child. Oh, my God. It just snowballs into worse and worse events for them. Just it's imagine. Just like, are you going to be every cliche? Like, ugh. <laughs> I really hate a lot of the men in this story. It's the men in the story for me that really get me. Totally. With this family drama... And dealing with, you know, Juan and then the passing of Juan, Jenny meets her first true love of her life. And that's a man who goes by the name of Fernie, but <laughs> she names him Pinche Pelon. And that means fucking baldy in English. So this affair, this relationship lasted a whole entire decade until her death. It was an on again, off again, romantic relationship. Um, according to Fernie, the relationship would always be off, of course, when she was with someone else or was married. Ultimately, it was a friendship that evolved through the years from the moment they met when he was working on a, a radio station in Los Angeles. He was 23 and she was about 10 years older. Their yes, girl. Yes, their chemistry was undeniable. Together, they shared the love of music from country to regional Mexican music and life experiences. Um, Jenny in her book even describes Fernie as her first true real love. Yeah. He was the that first. Is so true though. There is like that thing where like yeah. when you're young, you think like love is a certain kind of thing. And often, unfortunately, it's like you associate it with like struggle or like difficulty or even abuse. Mm -hmm. Like love is supposed to hurt. Like love is bad. Like love is this like painful thing. And then like you meet someone as an adult who like doesn't treat you like that. You're like, oh got it. It's like this yeah. is what it actually is. So that's so and sweet. That's what she like, felt. Yeah. Exactly everything that you said, Bryce, is exactly how she felt. Yeah. She was like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I didn't feel this way with Trino, I kind of felt this way with Juan, but I feel it with this younger man. That's so and sweet. Not only was he her first love, he was her first orgasm. Um, he Stop. was. <laughs> it's in her book. She's like, I never, I didn't get my first orgasm until I was in my thirties, which I was like, girl, I feel for you. I really feel bad. Like, but like that is the thing though. Is like not to be wildly graphic, but like <laughs> here we are. But like. <laughs> That's the thing, too, is, like, the first time you, like, sleep with someone who's, like, an attentive lover versus someone who's just, like, fucking you, you're like, oh, shit. Like, what is that? Like, yes. Oh, I'm not just sleeping with, like, a nightmare of a human. Like, they actually pay attention? Yeah, a.k.a. Okay. her, you know, first husband. Um, which, right. technically, I mean, going back into my research, they I never found any paperwork stating that they were married. Oh, they were just lifelong partners i think in the mix like in the spanish culture like when you're with someone it's like you're, they're just automatically considered like your husband or tío sure. or tía or something technically juan was her first husband on paper but technically emily is my common law wife so like i get it <laughs> oh. yeah that's, that's what it fine. was like trino was like a common law husband to her but there you are 
So um, not only does uh, she have her first orgasm, but she's like the he's the first guy that, you know, smokes her out, meaning that she gets to try out smoking pot with him. So she gets to, you know, smoke a doobie for the first time with Fernie. Hilarious. Then, you know, nothing is ever permanent. It kind of goes downhill. So Fernie is abusing drugs. He eventually starts abusing meth. And um, Jenny tries to help him. The tries to put him. Problem is no joke. It's really bad. Like Jenny could tell that there was something wrong with him, with his skin, his weight, his, his attitude, his mind. At one point, he had a bad episode, and he jumps off of a um, a three to five story building. God. He survives, but half of his body is broken. Um, he try. They try to put him in rehab. It doesn't work. So Jenny, you know, it's like when you love something, you have to let it go. Yeah. She was getting very, very famous. And he was trying to figure out a lot of things with his life. So she had to part ways. But they always found each other in, you know, yeah. certain times. And we'll talk about that soon. So oh. we go into the early uh, to mid 2000s. Jenny's stardom grows super fast. It just snowballs. So she began to attain more substantial success with the record. And it's my favorite one. One of my favorite. Parrendera, rebelde y atrevida. And you want to know what that means in English, guys? It means a party girl, rebellious, and bold. Boss bitch. Ironically, is the same thing that I have on my lower back tattoo. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Right above your um, tribal butterfly. Is that what Tribal butterfly. Yes, 100%. So gross. Bryce no offense to anyone that has that. Like, we all make choices, but... I know. Yeah. One of my friends got a tattoo on her right side of her back. And she's like, look, it's not a tramp stamp. I'm like, no, it's an indie tramp stamp because it's yeah. on the right. <laughs> You're breaking boundaries. I do not have any tattoos, but I almost got a tattoo in Thailand, a la Ed Helms in The Hangover. And then I had, like, thank God, a moment of clarity. And I was like, this is how you get hepatitis. Like, you need to leave. Like, I was at the tattoo parlor. Like, oh, no, don't do this. Don't do this. Okay. Let's see. She, um, so she releases this album in 2005. She, and the album, it goes to gold and then it goes platinum. Crazy. And she is set to play at the Kodak Theater, which she sells out. And she becomes the first female banda singer to sell out the Kodak. Um, she bursts out into the scene with her follow-up album. It's my other second favorite is Te Contrabando or the Contraband, which she tours with for the first time in Mexico. So you guys have to understand that right. Jenny Rivera is a Mexican regional artist, but she has to tackle the masses in Mexico. And it's a different breed compared to the West Coast here. Totally. So that is her first big test. If she can grab them, then she's made it. So she performs in Guadalajara, Mexico, and it's mm-hmm. a concert that can definitely make and break you. She does an amazing job. Like Mexico loves her. She's set. She's completely set. She's done. In 2007, she releases um, Mi Vida Loca, which debuted number one on the regional Mexican album charts and number two on the top Latin album charts. In the U.S., the album garnered an award for Regional Mexican Album of the Year in 2008 at the Latin Billboard Music Awards. And in a 2011 interview with Billboard magazine, um, she stated that that was more of Jenny telling her story through music. My life has been so put out there by the media that I figured I might as well put it out there myself in my own words and let the music speak for itself. 
She already was being in the tabloid eye. She's getting involved in a lot of drama with a lot of other Mexican regional singers. And to be quite honest, I was shocked and upset to learn that these singers were female. And Jenny had to not only defend herself from the males in the industry, but she had to defend herself from the females in the industry. Um, there were a lot of caddy women. Jenny was always in the top five of the Billboard charts. Her albums were going platinum. She was now receiving success and no one could be happy for her. Yeah. So that same year, she releases another album called La Diva in Vivo, a live album that consisted of songs recorded with a mariachi band, which garnered her second Latin Grammy nomination for Best Ranchero Album. That year, she was the only female singer nominated in that category, and the album was recorded in the Gibson Amphitheater in Universal City, California. Jenny sells out the concert, which led her to become the first female banda singer to do so. So she sells out the Gibson Amphitheater. And then her 10th studio album, Jenny, releases in 2008. It's number one in the Billboard Latin charts. The album led Jenny to win her second Lo Nuestro Award for Banda Artist of the Year, becoming the first female act to win the accolade. Crazy. So yeah, she was going to have a lot of haters. A lot. Yeah. In 2009, she changed nine, she changes course and recorded her first full mariachi studio album titled La Gran Señora, which garnered a Latin Grammy nomination for Best Ranchero Album. It peaked number two in the Billboard uh, Top Album Charts in the US, and she also became the first yeah. Latin artist. Get this, she becomes the first Latin artist to sell out the Nokia Theater in 2009. That's so crazy. And then we go into arrests and scandals. In 2008, um, <laughs> this is like bad, bad girl Banda right here. So Jenny um, gets arrested in Raleigh, North Carolina for allegedly hitting a fan. During her concerts, fans would all of a sudden throw beer cans at her. No. Yeah. So at one point, Jenny, you know, when she gets hit by this beer can, she grabs the fan. She kind of berates them. She kind of punches them. And then the fan calls the police. And after Jenny. Fuck <laughs> off. Gets like, you're going to be a little shit. And then you're going to call the police too. Yeah. Ugh. Yes. So Jenny gets done with the show. And right after she gets off the stage, they arrest her. But she is only detained for a few hours. She's released for um, very shortly for three grand. In October sure. 2008, it was, the, it was the year of sex tapes. So we have Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, Jenny Rivera comes out with a sex tape. Crazy. And then in 2009, um, she is arrested at the Mexico City International Airport. Mm. She failed to declare $52,467 in cash that was in her purse. At first, she well, thought, look, we've <laughs> all been there. You just forget that there's $52,000 in your purse. It's just <laughs> sitting there. Ugh, how how can they expect her to remember all of that? Right. And at that time, Jenny was being told, hey, you're going to go here and sing. You're going to collect this cash. Um, then you're going to go here the next hour and sing for 30 minutes. And then you're going to collect that cash. And at that point, like she was just making money right and left. And in Mexico, like when you're doing private shows, girl, um, especially with drug cartels, because mm -hmm. that was also proven that she was hired 
I think it was through her booking manager. I think her booking manager just booked her everywhere, everything. And I think at that point she was like, wait, who am I performing for? Really? Really? Okay. I guess, well, they're going to pay me what? 300 for 300,000 for an hour. All right. Okay. That's fine. So <laughs> tell you about the things that I would sing for 300,000 an hour to whom I would sing them. <laughs> there is almost no one on the planet. I'm a Barbie girl in the Barbie world. Life Absolutely. is fantastic. In drag, always, you do it, People right? always do that. They're like, oh, like, would you do this for X amount of money? I'm like, yes. I, <laughs> I don't understand the question. What would Bryce do for 300000 hmm. That list is very long. There is not that many things that I would not do. Let's just be real honest about that. I have, you have a lot of time on your hands. I would go over that list with you. <laughs> yeah, that's a different. that's a different episode for sure. So um, she's caught with all this cash. Uh, Jenny explains that she thought she only had 20 grand, but um, in customs, the rule is you have to declare anything that's over 10,000. So mm. she's arrested. She pays the 8,400 in fines. She's released. And Probably then, from the cash that was in her purse. So in 2011, Jenny receives a call from Edward James almost to participate in a little film called Philly Brown starring James himself, Lou Diamond Phillips, and a young Gina Rodriguez. Damn. It's her first acting role. She takes on the challenge. It's Edward James almost. Like when he calls, you do answer and you do what he says. You learn how to act. (laughs) Exactly. It's her first time acting. So she plays the mother to Gina uh, Rodriguez's character, who is an aspiring rapper and writer. This is a good example to explain how amazing and selfless jenny rivera was she befriends and develops a great connection with the film photographer so they hang out a lot you know on set he tells her yeah i'm not getting paid to be here but i'm just you know taking pictures and putting this on my resume it's going to be great i need this for my portfolio oh god exposure i know and jenny is like really okay she then talks to her people and tells her people, whatever I'm getting paid for this film, you put it in that photographer's name. Everything that I make on this film, I want him to take. That's so sweet. Yeah. he's. She's like, I I can make this money easily. He can't, you know, and, and that's amazing. Like she did that for him. And that was the amazing thing about Jenny Rivera. She was a humanitarian. Yeah. She really put money towards people in the community. There's stories of people on her, you know, on, fan pages of her Instagram that say, you know, I reached out to her if I needed a surgery, she made it happen. You know, I needed, yeah, this, you know, these expensive pairs of glasses, she made it happen. So she was so amazing in that light. And then we fast forward to 2000, later in 2011, um, Jenny meets Esteban Loaiza. Mm -hmm. He's a tall glass of water. He's a big <laughs> <laughs> He's really tall. Like, he's a really tall guy. Um, not only is he a pro baseball player, but he used to play for the Sox and Oakland. And he was also, at that time, playing for the um, L.A. Dodgers. So on paper, he looked great, but we learned that he is not, you know, that bueno. Esteban is not bored about a lot of things. He's not honest with Jenny about a lot of things. One of the things that he's not honest about is the fact that two years before meeting Jenny, he was arrested for a DUI. Jenny, in her book, describes her love for him as mature, but it wasn't the love that she had for Fernie, you know. 
They're on again, off again, but he eventually asks for her hand in marriage in 2010. Damn. They are married, and it does not last very long. Aww. Yeah, but um, Jenny's career goes from really, you know, accelerated to on steroids. Mm-hmm. So Jenny becomes a producer on um, Mundo Dos, which is a reality TV show that produces Cheeky's, her daughter, mm-hmm. and Roxy. Then the show turns into a spinoff of I Love Jenny, and it becomes a big hit. So Jenny works as a coach in the second season of the Mexican talent show La Voz, or The Voice in Mexico. And then in October 2012, People in Español named her one of the top 25 most powerful women. She opens two, two boutiques. She starts a taco truck business. She's now an actress. She's a producer, a humanitarian. She's just on a roll. Also, she is named a spokeswoman for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, mm. a proclamation that was given officially naming August 6th as Jenny Rivera Day by the mm. Los Angeles City Council for all of her charity work and community. Mm. In 2011, she is given the star at the Polywalk Fame at Polytech High School in Long Beach. She becomes the first female Mexican regional singer to now sell out the Staples Center in September of 2011. It's crazy. Now with celebrity comes threats, and Jenny Rivera was getting a lot of threats, especially while she was touring in Mexico. First off is tipped by the FBI that a, a cartel in Reynosa wanted to kidnap her. At first she's like, should I cancel the concert? The venue where she was supposed to have the concert tells her you have to do it or we're going to hold your assistance hostage. So she decides. Venues, they are insane. It's like this dark underside you don't think about. But like musicians get blackmailed by venues all the time. Absolutely. Just another thing to be angry about. Carry on. (laughs) So the FBI tips Jenny about a cartel that might possibly kidnap her. It's a major threat that, you know, you don't take lightly, especially in Reynosa. So Jenny plans with her people that she's going to travel from California to Texas, take a 14 Hummer caravan of military personnel that will escort her in and out of Reynosa. So she goes to Reynosa with this caravan. She does the show. She goes back. Success. So her Stardom continues to go to overdrive as she's turning more records into platinum. She she has a radio show called Contacto Directo. She is in talks of starting her own English album, possibly doing an English talk show where they're pretty much claiming that she's going to be the next Spanish Oprah. And then there's this thing that happens out of nowhere. It's the sex tape heard around the world. I'm just going to touch on a couple of bullet points here. So one um, morning, Chiki's her daughter. She opens a text message from her mother stating that she is no longer welcome in the house, that the locks have been changed because of a uh, surveillance footage that captured a supposed sex act between Chiki's and Jenny's third husband, Esteban. According to Chiki's in many interviews that she had done, she... And her family, along with Jenny and Esteban, they go watch a, a movie one evening. They come back. Jenny drops them off, then leaves to go run an errand. Aww. And supposedly, Chickies was caught in the six-minute segment inside the bedroom of Jenny and Esteban. Oof. And according to Jenny, 
or the people that were around Jenny, from what others claim, they believe that something happened. They people believe that Jenny was already being surrounded by a lot of negative people that were putting a lot of bad things into her head. Right. Um, according to Chickies, nothing happened. She walked into the room where Esteban was laying in bed on his iPad. They had small talk for six minutes. She wished him a good night, and that was it. Yeah. Um, according to those who viewed the footage, they said that they saw nothing. That it was very grainy. You just see. Chickies and the seven in the room, they're talking. She leaves. Seven goes into the bathroom, comes out in a towel. It, it was the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that happened before mm. her death that kind of blew up in the um, Spanish tabloids. Right. So this leads um, Jenny to file a divorce from Esteban. And a separation between mother and daughter happens. Jenny refuses to talk to Chickies. Mm. And then Jenny goes and does her tour in Mexico, where she goes to Monterrey in December of 2012. And there she performs one hell of a show. Mm -hmm. She does a song called Paloma Negra that she dedicates to Chickies, kind of like an olive branch. Like, mm -hmm. you have my forgiveness. Um, there's even reports stating that, you know, Jenny and her were supposed to reunite at a Christmas get-together with the family. They were going to bury the hatchet, but unfortunately, that doesn't come to be because on December 9th of 2012, Jenny hops into a Learjet 25 with her team at 3 a.m. They were supposed to fly to Toluca, and they never make it. Yeah. And you have the info on that, Bryce. Yeah. So first, I will just lightly kind of just give like the straight up facts in terms mm -hmm. of like the because then there's so many things that are, like, surrounding the crash itself. So we'll kind of, I'm, you know, we'll get into that separately. Um, just because, you know, it was the culmination of so many other disparate parts of her life. And it's like, oh, these things came together in, like, really weird coincidences. Like, that's odd. But uh, basically, like you had mentioned, they had done the concert in Monterey. And her, Jenny, and five other members uh, of the tour were flying back on her private Learjet, uh, Learjet 25. And it actually had had technical difficulty previously. So she actually had had issues um, with this jet before, which like, again, what a strange sentence to say, like my jet is having issues. <laughs> right. Um, so she leaves and they uh, actually left around 3 a.m. like you had said. And there was supposed to actually be six people on the plane. Gustavo Adolfo Infante, a reporter, he claimed that another singer, Alejandra Guzman, was actually also supposed to be on that flight. But oh, wow. But they were waiting for her and she was late and they ended up leaving without her. And so that she basically missed this flight. And then uh, the plane, like you mentioned, never arrived. They leave the Monterey airport around 3.20 in the morning. And they are supposed to fly to Toluca, which was where she was filming uh, La Vaz, as you had mentioned. Unfortunately, they lost contact with the plane. And they that's it. Like They basically, 15 minutes into the flight, they lose contact. And uh, that next day, they find the wreckage of the plane. Uh, it looks like it was, uh, there were no survivors. 
and there were five passengers and two crew members and they basically reported that the plane had like completely disintegrated on impact mm-hmm. and as i mentioned there were no survivors which is actually a little atypical of how smaller jets crash so that was sort of the first weirdness that it had essentially full on disintegrated as opposed to like i don't know there was some question about the way it crashed um she is then buried on december 31st so roughly two and a half weeks later in long beach and basically that is sort of what starts the speculation we'll say (laughs) about the cause of her death the circumstances of her death and whether her death is actually even real because there was such a delay and her father went on and said that it was because of legal issues and because of international issues that like the plane crash had happened, you know, in Mexican airspace. Um, Obviously she was in Mexico when she died. And so like he said that that was the issue, but Mm -hmm. basically it causes this media storm of like speculation and false reporting and sightings of her because of the delay So the U.S. and Mexican government uh, do investigate the crash. And two years later, in 2014, they actually closed the case because the cause of the crash is not able to be found because the plane is so disintegrated that there's no way to determine what officially caused the plane crash. So they actually just closed the case. Mm -hmm. And basically, they just say that it disintegrated upon impact. And officially, the probable cause was loss of control of the aircraft for undetermined reasons. Right. So, you know, like you had mentioned, this is a woman at the height of her career, even at the launching point of even bigger success. So I think in general, we are quite fascinated when people like that die, because even though she was in her 40s, which by a lot of standards in the entertainment industry for a woman that's, you know, sometimes considered past their prime. But for her, she actually was like on the precipice of like, you mentioned becoming such a large mogul. And so a lot of the conspiracy theories surrounding her death started. Well, I mean, I don't know how you want to transition to that, but basically like the main theories were that a, she wasn't really dead, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which we love that. And B, that she had actually been targeted for assassination by the cartel. And El Chapo specifically allegedly had, like, put in the process to have her killed. So people very much were not believing. And to this day, like, you had even mentioned before we started, but to this day, there are people who believe that she is alive. It's really, really sad because um, even in her book, she writes that she was getting a lot of death threats mm-hmm. uh, via phone, email, and message boards on her Facebook, on her Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you said you mentioned El Chapo, who is connected to La Barbie. Um, mm-hmm. El Chapo is the father-in-law to El La Barbie, who was a part of a big cartel. And he um, is basically the one. La Barbie is basically the one who has like since come out and been like. Uh, These are the things that, like, I was told to do. So he's, like, basically corroborated so many of the conspiracy theories about the threats that she was receiving. Mm -hmm. 
um, looking into his case, um, he was actually arrested and extradited in 2010 um, to 2012. Um, but it was, I was even looking deeper into him um, as a whole. So he eventually becomes a U.S. informant. And Mike Vigil, who was the former chief officer of the DEA, mm. In an interview with MySanAntonio.com, he was asked straight up, like, did LaBarbie send a hit to Jenny Rivera? And he said, no, it was simply an act of God. They were socially linked, but you know what? She was a singer, and that's what a lot of singers did, especially, like, since she was a Mexican regional artist who did sing Narco Corridos. Yep. Um, but also, he was linked to other singers, you know, was it possible that he could have put a hit from, you know, from prison on her? Possibly. And on top of that, you know, you bring up the issues with the plane. The plane was built in 1969. And at that time, they didn't put black boxes in the plane. Right. And the plane was being owned and operated by Eduardo Esquino Nunez, whom is very shady. He's the owner of Starwood Management, who owns 14 luxury Learjets. The mm. one that Jenny was in had a lot of problems because Nunez owed millions of back taxes to the government. And he was desperate to sell Jenny this, this specific plane. She was going to buy it for 250000 And he offered to give her this plane as a test drive for her tour in Mexico during this time. And unfortunately, you know, that didn't end very well. Right. Um, looking into the FAA records, he falsified the records, stating that all of his all of his jets were up to date, all of his jets were maintenance. Um, but the jets that he had, especially the one that Jenny Rivera was on, dating back to 2005, it was involved in an accident. It was also stated um, in many records, especially by the pilot, so that the door wasn't working. It shook violently when it reached a certain altitude. It was destined to fail. The, the plane was destined to fail. So a lot of people believe that there was a bomb on the plane or mm. other people, you know, who are a little more logical. They're like, well, if you read the reports, it's all mechanical. Like right. the plane was ready to fail. And when you're flying in the terrain of the mountains of Nuevo Leon, it's kind of dangerous. The visibility is foggy. The right. mountains are high. Even when the first responders got to the site, they had a hard time looking for the crash site and a hard time getting there, for one. You know, there's even claims that the people of the village that was next to Nuevo Leon claimed that they saw the plane explode. So there's a speculation. No, there was a bomb. But I'm like, okay, for one thing, who's up at 3.30 in the morning looking at the sky? Like, who's up during that time? And is it quite possible that a plane can explode midair if it's not properly maintenance and right. hasn't been maintenance for years? And then people were, like you said, they were coming out with all these conspiracies. They're like, well, her dresses were intact. And if you think about it, well, clothes don't have weight to them. A plane right. and flesh does. So when you see these, I don't know, these plane crashes and you see the debris, you can see like, the belongings of those victims like still intact right which is interesting i get but people really ran with the conspiracies that she is alive that she faked her death that she sacrificed all the people in the plane the people in the plane was her makeup artist her manager her lawyer her costumer 
Um, and I believe that was it. And then the two pilots, right. the two pilots, one was 78 years old. And according to Mexican aviation rules, that's you shouldn't be maneuvering a plane that was over a certain weight limit. Um, shouldn't be over a limit of 11,000. The weight, the, the weight of the plane was 12,500. And then the second um, pilot who was 21 years old, he didn't have a specific license to fly into us territory. So there are a lot of like discrepancies with that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it does rub people the wrong way. They're like, well, there's all these other things that happen leading up to her death that it does point to the cartels honestly i think that jenny rivera was given a lemon i think that there was an element of cartel activity but not directed to her because of nunez nunez was related to the cartels because he comes from a prominent family out of monterrey which provided drug planes to the infamous narco amador carillo who was the Lord of the Skies. Um, If you see the second season of Narcos, you'll know who I'm talking about. And ever since then, he's always dealt with cartels. And he was even in prison in Florida at one point for dealing drugs, moving cocaine between the U.S. and Mexico. Damn. It's a lot to dig in and to dig through. But the masses have their own theories that she's alive. I don't know if you read into the one theory that she has her own cooking show on YouTube. Yes, I had, I've seen <laughs> You I want to talk about that? As well, yeah. Let's talk about that. What is your thought on that? Uh, just in general, I think I don't necessarily believe in a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. I think they're fun. I enjoy like knowing about them. But I think for the most part, a conspiracy theory often just helps us to feel like we're special. And that, like, we know something that other people don't know. Right. And that's fine. I totally get that. But I think that there is wisdom in the adage of thinking horses, not zebras, when you hear hoof prints or hoof beats, I guess. And, you know, that's not always the case. But I think we just like the sort of romanticized idea of conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. It's, like, not the thing that we're being told it is that it's not the simplest solution that we know something that like other people don't know totally get that right i just think you need to be careful with that thinking because it gives you a sense of self-aggrandizement that then no one can like refute even with facts and you're like no i just know the truth it's like right but when there are facts countering that opinion you need to be open to being wrong too exactly i think that's where like conspiracy theories fail is that there's no error there's no room for error once you know the conspiracy then it can't be anything else and i think something more likely is yeah there are things that we aren't being told and you know that are kept secret or that we don't know the whole story so maybe there is some a little bit of the truth and a little bit of conspiracy theory like to make what the actual truth is and I, I get that, but I just think, in general, conspiracy theories have very little room for, like, fact, often. All of that to say, <laughs> I think the idea that this woman has a cooking show on YouTube, like, the original conspiracy theories, uh, 
sort of centered around her not wanting to be in the limelight anymore and her wanting to like be done with okay. her fame. You know, she had certainly made enough money she would not need to work if she didn't want to. And so many people believed that she wanted out and that she was done. So in that sense, that to me seems like that that desire is understandable. I don't think that she would necessarily, hopefully, kill seven people to make that happen. Exactly. Uh, so you always hope not. <laughs> but, like, that to me makes sense. Like, oh, maybe this person wanted out. Then it mm-hmm. makes no sense. Well, if they wanted out, why would they try? Why would they be trying to get back into the limelight through YouTube, exactly. through TikTok? Um, you know, it's she has so funny body double. When I was doing the series on her on TikTok, man, the amount of comments of people, she's alive, she's alive. I have proof. I'm like, what's the proof? She faked her death, but where's the proof? Right. Well, she has a YouTube channel. I'm like, what? And for those of you that are probably trying to figure out, like, what's the YouTube channel? So back, I think it was in 2017. I could be wrong um, or a little later. But this woman comes out with a YouTube channel called You Cook, I Cook, We All Cook. And what was so mind-boggling about this channel and so interesting and and odd was that the woman doesn't show her face she shows herself cooking these Mexican dishes. But the one thing that triggered a lot of people was the fact that she sounded identical to Jenny mm-hmm. Rivera. The way she talked, the way she you know, used her choice of words, her yeah. hands. And at one point, this woman in the video starts using cooking utensils that have the butterfly. Jenny at that point was known as la mariposa de barrio, the mm-hmm. butterfly of the barrio. This woman starts to use these cooking utensils with that butterfly. So people are like, you know, in their heads, conspiracy theorists, well, you see, here it goes. That's yeah. her. Her hands look the same. She sounds the same. She has the um, the utensil. She's cooking mm-hmm. the exact same meals. The craziest thing is that Jenny's family has gone on YouTube, on interviews, and they've said that this is not Jenny. It's a woman named Crystal. We've spoken to her because we kind of feel like she's done this on purpose. Mm-hmm. And because of the attention, she stopped. You know, people were actually calling her Jenny. Yeah. But her family members, like her children, and even her aunt, Jenny has an aunt called Aunt Pita, who goes on YouTube and she interacts with Jenny fans. And Jenny fans are always asking her, where's Jenny? We know she's alive. She's like, guys, she's not alive. Right. She is gone. I don't know how many times. And that's the I thing could- is now, because you're so convinced that you're right, you're forcing this family to relive the death of their loved one to try and convince exactly. you, a stranger, that they are actually dead. Like, ooh, that's not a great look. It's It's not, but leave it to Spanish media. They really didn't help. I even presented um, in the TikTok videos about her life that a website by the name of Hoax Slayer by Michael Christensen proved to the masses that it was a hoax, that it was a website by the name of Nota El País that came out with the story of Jenny Rivera faked her death. She's alive. But it turned out that Nota El País was stealing logos from CNN, the BBC, 
to make them look credible when right. really they were falsified. So that was called out. But people were like, no, like, I know what I read. And right. I know she's alive. And now I was even being told just this morning, I just got a message from another one of our followers. They're like, no, she's alive. I know this because I have proof that the pilot, one of the pilots survives. It's a man by the name of Jobs or Cobbs. And look, I have an interview from, you know, Univision. And what ended up happening is one of the pilots that was maneuvering the, the, the flight at the last minute changed with this gentleman. He wasn't on that flight. He didn't right. survive. And people used that and kind of turned it and twisted it as the pilot survived. One, this guy is 78 years old. You know, is he trained to use a parachute? Is he capable to use a, ca right. a parachute at his age? Like, I see a, a cane in his hand. Like, I, I mean, right. it never adds up. It really doesn't. Yeah, and there's the woman who is like a body double. Not a body double, but she was like an impersonator. And okay. she has like a TikTok following and people are convinced that it's the real Jenny Rivera and she has the same swimsuit and she has the same outfit that Jenny wore at the concert in Monterey before she got on the plane. And like they think it's the same thing. Like it's all these little signals that she is alive and she's like trying to tell us. And it's like, right. But again, like A, you have to understand the industry. Like I don't remember if you ever watched back in like the early 2000s. They had a series about the woman who was Anna Nicole Smith's body double and, like, no. impersonator. It was very interesting because this woman was, like, losing herself in a way because she was so good at impersonating Anna Nicole. But, like, everything that she did was not for herself. So she's like, if Anna Nicole gains weight, then I gain weight. If she loses right. weight, then I lose weight. It was like her whole life was wrapped up in like and she was doing like appearances as Anna Nicole and she answered to her and she was just like it I don't it's like I wake up and I don't remember who I am and so it's like you have to understand that there are parts of the industry that are just about money and that even though these people are entertainers they're seen as a product mostly mm -hmm. and so what better way to like maximize the output of your product than to hire someone who looks like them so that they can make twice as many appearances for example and so you know again it just goes back to like if you're looking for facts that just confirm what you already think that's not really looking for facts so it's like exactly. this woman who's maybe a body double an impersonator she has also been asked by the family to cease and desist and like to not call herself jenny and it's yeah. just, you know, ultimately at a very human level, it just comes down to like continuing the family's hurt, I think. Oh, they're still in pain. Like I always tell people, you know, you say that she's alive, but when you see footage of her children mourning the loss of their mom, yeah, you know, how can you counter that? Speaking of the children, after Jenny's passing, yeah. Jenny did something amazing before her passing. She prepared them for, I guess, a career in reality shows. So after passing, they come up with a spinoff called Rivera's, and it's just based on her children, um, Chickies, Jackie, Mikey, Johnny, and Jenica, mm -hmm. and how they're moving forward since the passing of their mother. And there's a, I think there's one season, I think it's the first season, where you see them packing up her life, and they mm -hmm. have to move out of the house. She was living in, in I believe it was in Encino, in this beautiful mansion. And, the, you know, the kids, you know, 
they couldn't afford to live there. It was like, it's a lot of money um, to maintain that house. So they had to leave after a certain time. And you see them packing away her mom, the mom's clothing. They barely can't even work because they're so, they're so distraught. And I see that. I'm like, how can you tell these kids that their mom's still alive? You know, it's really, really sad. Another thing that happened, and I will bring this up too, it's kind of like the paranormal association. Mm. We people now bring up conspiracy theories and then to follow is the supernatural element. So people were coming up with pictures of um, their own theories that some supernatural elements or bad omens were occurring before her, her death during her concert. So people brought up the fact that her stage was in a shape of a cross. They believe that the cross was a bad omen, but I'm like, when I think of the cross, I think of, Christ, you know, I think something positive. But people are like, no, it's it's kind of odd. I'm like, it's not odd because the arena that she was performing in in Monterrey was a theater in the round, and Jenny right. liked to interact with her audience, so she needed extensions right. to walk to the north, the west, the south, and the east end of the arena. So that made a lot of sense, and people were like, "No, it's a bad omen." I'm like, "Oh my god, do it! What do what you will." Yeah, um, there's just like sometimes <laughs> there's no argument with people. And then another one, it obviously looks like a Photoshop picture. I tried making a TikTok of it, and people get the wrong way. I was trying to discredit it. I was trying to mention in this specific photograph, you see Jenny in the middle of the stage. There's this dark shrouded looking blob. Yeah. It looks. People are like, oh, that's the Grim Reaper. That's oh, the Grim Reaper. Or that's Santa Muerte. And they blew it up. And I said, no, it's not what you think it is. It looks photoshopped. And look, there's different angles of her in the same spot. Her arm raised up, mic by her mouth. Right. And you don't see that figure anywhere. It's it's a fake. It's, it's non-credible. And people were like, no, it's the Green Reaper. Oh, it was the Green Reaper. It's negative. This image is negative. I'm like, oh, my God. You guys really missed the point. You really missed the point on this. But again, it just goes back to, like, if you want something to be true, then you close yourself off to, like, the potential to be wrong. Right. And a lot of people, especially her fans, are very closed off, you know? Yeah, and I get it. Like, it's sad. It's really sad. It's very sad. We feel such a deep uh, connection to these people. So it's like your grief isn't wrong. You're not wrong to like wish that they weren't dead. But just don't let it make you like the very thing that you don't want to be. Like, ooh. Another thing that also was pointed out by other people here, we go with the paranormal association. Mm-hmm. So villagers and other people have said that they claim to hear a woman singing at the crash site. Whoa, that's creepy. Nuevo. Leon, so people claim that they hear who they believe to be Jenny Rivera. Yeah. Another thing that people claim to witness at her grave site in the Lost Souls Cemetery in Long Beach is um, it's something that's a little more believable. They believe, like, they, they notice a lot of butterflies around her grave site. Wow. Which is very beautiful. And I've seen video, people have captured. There is that I could see like that right. is credible when you have it there on video actually happening in front of you. There's many videos of people um, posting online where they're like, no, they, there's always butterflies surrounding her grave. It's really sweet. So 
that's one thing that occurs. And another thing that occurs on her gravesite is people believe that they hear a woman singing by her gravesite. There's also images of a figure of a woman that could be seen at her memorial service. I think it was either in Nokia or the Gibson where they had her memorial service. Supposedly there is this figure that looked like Jenny standing behind her brother Lupil. Um, another another image surfaced of these women taking a picture at Esteban's house. Um, after the service, they see what they believe to be a figure of Jenny Rivera on the reflection of the mirror. So there are a lot of these images that were popping out of the woodworks after her death that people were linking, you know, the ghost of Jenny. So now not only is she a big conspiracy theory, but she's also now a ghost. So I always I always ask people, well, if you hear her singing, or if you see these images, then that means she's passed. Do you still believe that she's alive? Yes. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, realistically, it's only one. So <laughs> it's one or the other. Her children, I think her her daughter Jenica recently in an interview told the audience, My mom is gone. We know our truth. She is with Jesus. My mother is not here. Another thing, too, that happened that also popped out of the woodworks. Um, I don't know if you read this, but Pepe Garza, who is a big radio disc jockey and figure mm. in the community, he's one of the disc jockeys for Que Buena. She comes out with this 35-minute video titled Jenny Rivera's Goodbye. The interview never published. So this Whoa. was posted on Garza's YouTube channel, Pepe's Office, on Monday of 2019. It was, I think, December 2019 on a Monday. It shows Jenny's children, Tiki's and Johnny, sitting across from Pepe, um, waiting to hear for the first time an audio interview that Pepe Garza recorded with Jenny on July 27th of 2012. Whoa. So... And they had never heard it? They never heard it. This was released last year. So Pepe, for the longest time, had this interview in his his possession. He's like, it it was eating me up for so many years when to release it. And I felt more comfortable to release it right now. But I wanted it to be released to her children. And you can find the interview. It's on YouTube. It is stated by Pepe that one day at the studio, Jenny grabs Pepe and tells him, I need you to do an interview with me right now. Just the two of us do not say anything. Do not leak this out to anyone. And in the interview, Jenny tells Pepe Garza that she's been receiving a lot of death threats. According to Pepe in the interview, he said there were a lot of things that were laid out on the table from Jenny, but they were not made clear. Mm. He knew that Jenny was going through something and that she was in trouble and that she looked and sounded very nervous. To end that interview, she said that she's, you know, with God, she's, she feels his protection. She's going to continue to do her shows regardless. But um, this is something that she wanted to leave behind, a last testament, you know, which was very, very eerie, um, so but very sad. interesting. Yeah. That is pretty much our story on Jenny Rivera and her life and her career and her impact and her death, which is still a big question to this very day for a lot of people. And I will end by saying that, you know, Mexico is definitely a country of many conspiracy theories. So 
no matter what, I feel like people will still remember the way she lived, but also people will constantly talk about the way she died or is still alive, unfortunately. Yeah. The thing that is nice, though, is that her legacy still does, like, impact so many people. Yes. And honestly, unfortunately, with legacy, and some, that's sometimes negative and sometimes positive. Like, I think the conspiracy theories around her are all not great, honestly. But I know that they still do her annual charity concert, and her daughters are, like, very involved with that. Yes. And they still, like, raise money for her foundation uh, for the battered women's home and, like... They're still doing all of these things in her honor that I think really, like, preserve what she contributed to the world. So it's, like, in some ways it's very, obviously, of course, it's so sad. But it's nice to know that, like, her family is able to, like, continue her legacy and to honor the things that she valued and to continue to do good in her name. And I think that's ultimately, like, what we the best we can hope for is that our loved ones will, like, continue... Absolutely. In our names. And they do. They do very they do very well, especially on their own. Like you see pieces of Jenny in each and yeah. every one of them. Chiquis is now called uh, La Princesa de la Banda. So she has a singing career. She's very successful. Mm-hmm. She works she works hard for her career and you can see that. Yeah. Um Jenica, her daughter, is a model and a body positive activist. Johnny, I think, is, you know, an artist and uh, I think he's coming out with his own apparel. Wow. Um, Mikey is, you know, uh, another artist who he does a lot of street art. Jackie has her own YouTube channel and is aspiring to be a singer. And who else? Uh, I believe, oh yeah, her sister, Rosie, Jenny's sister is the CEO of Jenny Enterprises. So she's the overseer of, mm. of everything, you know, of that dynasty. So that's pretty much where they're at at this point. And yeah. you could still kind of tune in to, to take a glimpse in their lives if you watch the show that are Rivera's. Um, it, that show was so popular, Bryce, that it went seven seasons. I think the last season Damn. was released in 2018, 2019. That's so, they, I mean, they were already taken care of. Like, right. Mama was watching them. Mama yeah. prepped for that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, guys, that was our episode of Jenny Rivera. Thank you so much for tuning mm-hmm. in. Like I said, if you want to learn more about Jenny Rivera, you can tune in to her show. There is a um, show based on her life that is now on Netflix. It was yes. released in 2017 in through Telemundo, and now Netflix has it. You can tune in. It's a very long series. It's 91 episodes, but mm-hmm. she's, it really it dives deep into her life and her family's life. Mm. You can also read her book, Unbreakable. I've read it. It's amazing. It's very inspiring. And um, if you want to tune into our series of Jenny Rivera or any of the artists that we've spoken about in the past, you can follow us at Hollywood Paranormal on TikTok. And speaking of our social media, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Paranormal and Twitter on HWP Podcast. And please don't hesitate to send us your scary stories. We'd love yes. receiving them. You can send it to us at hollywearparanormal at gmail.com. If you want to learn more about our Patreon, you can go to www.hollywearparanormal forward slash patreon.com. Yes. And you can also venture on our website, hollywearparanormal.com. You can read more on our bios, listen to past episodes, shop our merch store 
and kind of stalk us on our social media. Yes. Yeah. So tune in to our next episode, guys. We're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Police Museum. I'll be doing an investigation next week in Pasadena at the museum <laughs> with our friends from Booze and Bros podcast and the show Ghost Loop with Vital and Chris Califf. Bryce will be um, enjoying that investigation from afar with his eyes hiding under my blankie. (laughs) Exactly. So tune into that. If you like Holly Weird Paranormal, we would love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out. It really does make us look a little more visible with all these podcasts out there. Everybody's podcasting during the pandemic. So it helps us, you know. Even my mom has a podcast. No, just kidding. But um, uh, I love it. She was talking about one. All right, guys. Take care. Always remember to stay highly weird. Take care of yourselves. Yes. Bryce, do you have anything you want to say? Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Wear masks. Take care of yourselves yes. and be nice to one another, guys. Much love. And we'll talk to you very soon. Till Bye. next time. tan querido extraño mi pueblo mi pueblo tan querido